Good morning, everybody. How we doing? Everybody good? All right, good. Hope everybody had a, a good Thanksgiving this past week. Um, as we uh, get into that, I want to say thank you, first of all, to a few folks right now, uh, one being Rick, Justin, Sean, and Krista for coming and sitting right here so that this, so that this area would not be empty. So I appreciate that. All right, cool. Good. That's good. Um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open that up and, uh, and go to Luke chapter 18. We're going to start there this morning. Um, we're going to spend a little bit of time there. It'll be a little bit before we get there, so just bear with me. And, uh, and then we'll kind of end up the day over in Philippians. So I do want to talk about real quick Thanksgiving because we are thankful, I hope. We did just come out of the Thanksgiving holiday and everything. And uh, we do really have a whole lot of stuff to be thankful for, right? I mean, I think we all can say we've got a pretty, a pretty hefty list of things to be thankful for and we've all got that list right everybody's got that handful of things that you just kind of spout off yes I am thankful thankful for these things everything from things like family friends uh, our church our the nation we live in our jobs our homes all these different kind of things we would say are on that list the clothes we wear the food we have uh, all those kind of things our health all that kind of stuff is, um, is definitely on our list of things that we are thankful for. And we could go on and on with that list. We could just keep naming things, you know, constantly naming things. And not only could we go on and on with that list, but that list would vary from person to person. Like everybody in here, no two lists would be the same. There may be some things that, that match up and line up from person to person, but there'll be things that differ on everybody's list. My list would be different than your list, for example. Um, like I said, we may have a few of the same things, but there would still be some, some variation there. And that's because we all have different things that we hold dear, different things that we cherish, different things that we look to for happiness and satisfaction and all these kind of things. Not only that, though, but even the degree of thankfulness for those things that we have that match up will vary too, right? Like I may be very much more thankful for one thing than you are, say Bojangles, you know, I'm very thankful for Bojangles. Somebody else may not be so thankful for Bojangles. But anyway, the, the list can vary. Um, the degree of thankfulness we have can vary. All those different kind of things. But nonetheless, by God's grace, there is literally a plethora of things for us to be thankful about. Right? It's just an, an unending list of things that we should be and th- can be thankful about. And I hope that you thanked God for those things this past week. I hope you continue to do that as we kind of close out 2015, and I hope that you will continue to do that as we move into 2016 as well. It is hard to believe I'm saying that, right, that we're at the end of a year almost. We're going into December, and a new year is upon us. It's, it's crazy, but, uh, but thinking about that, I want us to do something, okay? I want, you to, I want you to literally think about just those first three or four things that are on your thankfulness list that list of things that you are thankful for whatever they may be all right whatever they may be family friends church bojangles you know whatever it might be just think about those things just those first three or four get those in your mind and I want you to ask yourself a question I want to ask you I want you to ask yourself this question of these things that I'm so thankful for can I be satisfied 
if any of them were taken away? Can I really be satisfied if I had to give one or all of them up? Can I be satisfied if all that stuff was gone? That's a tough question. That's a, that's a tough question to ask yourself. It's a tough question to try to answer. And it's probably one that most of us don't even want to think about. I know I don't. That's not something I sit around and ponder. You know, can I deal without any of these things? Or maybe it's an easy question for you to answer. Maybe it's a very simple question because you're like, no, no, there ain't no way. I can't be satisfied if I don't have these things. Or if this one thing is gone, I can't be satisfied. You know, so it may be a very, very easy question. Or maybe you're like the Rolling Stones. And you just can't get no satisfaction. Even though you try and you try and you try. But nothing brings you satisfaction. Maybe that's the case for you. I don't know. Or maybe you can, with a clear heart and a clear conscience, say, yeah, I could do without all of those things. Because my satisfaction is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, I want to say this, if that's you, if that last person is you, you're probably going to be very disappointed with the rest of this sermon, okay? But I want to encourage you to hang around, stay, because we all want to be there, I think. We all should be there. And I know that's not the reality for me, so I would like for you to stay and hang around and help us, help us out too. So I don't know how you answer that question. I don't know if you can say, yes, I can let some of these things go. No, I can't. Uh, I don't know where those things hold for you. I know how I would answer it, like I said, and I know how we should answer that question. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want us to talk about satisfaction, like fulfillment, uh, contentment, being have all of our needs met, all those kind of things. Satisfaction, what does it mean? What does it look like? What is that? What do you find it in? What should we find it in? Those kind of things. So I want to share a quote and this quote is kind of what sparked me thinking about this. And uh, John Piper, who is a uh, former pastor up in Minnesota, he's the founder of um, Desiring God Ministries, if you ever want to look him up. He says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him and like I said that quote is really what got me to thinking about this whole idea of um satisfaction and actually where I look for my own satisfaction you know where am I looking is that quote true of me you know can I say that God is most glorified in me because I'm most satisfied in him and it's, it's something that uh that I think most of us many of us not just me I hope struggle with you know, where do we find our satisfaction? What are we placing things or placing our satisfaction in, so to speak? So what I want to do is I want to answer, are we, well, first of all, we're not going to answer all the questions about satisfaction this morning, okay? We just, we don't have enough time to try to answer all of them. But I do hope to shed some light on it. I hope to shed some light on maybe you, maybe open your heart, maybe some areas we have to repent Maybe we need to turn to God, those kind of things. I hope that we can do that. And maybe at the very least, get us to think a little more seriously about 
where we put things and where priorities are in our lives, okay? That's what I'm hoping, hoping to do. And I want to do that. I want to ask a handful of questions here as we're going through the, uh, the message today that I want you to just kind of think about. Um, so we're going to probe kind of into our own lives a little bit. And we're going to, I want to ask these few questions. So here, here, here we go. Where am I really looking to find satisfaction? You've got to be able to answer that question for yourself. Where am I finding my satisfaction? Where am I looking to find my satisfaction? What are those things I'm trying to find satisfaction in? What are they? And then number two is, am I actually finding satisfaction in those? Am I actually finding fulfillment, contentment, those kind of things in those things? Or do they come up short? Do I find myself wanting still? Am I still looking? Am I still striving for something? Am I finding it there? Or do I look for more? Am I elevating certain things to a place where they shouldn't be? Am I finding satisfaction in things that I'm putting ultimate that I should not? Making things ultimate in our life when, we, when they should not be in that particular place in our life. And then finally, where should I really be looking for satisfaction? Where should I really be seeking satisfaction in? And I want to help answer those questions and maybe change how we think about some things. Uh, maybe even, like I said, cause us to repent. Maybe we need to turn away from something, do something different in our lives. I want to do that by looking at a couple different examples in Scripture. And these are examples that I hope will help open our eyes and, and bring us to that place to say, man, that's, maybe that's me. Maybe I need to change this or that or the other thing. Or at the very least, like I said, to get us thinking a little bit more about it, you know, at least thinking more seriously about this whole subject. And that brings us to Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at just a few verses. They'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. If you, if you don't own a Bible, there's a blue and white paperback somewhere close by that uh, we want to give to you. So we're going to start Luke 18, and we're going to start in verse number 18. Now, this is an interaction, really quick, interaction between Jesus and a, a rich ruler. This guy has come to Jesus, and he's asking him these questions. So a ruler came and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And we'll stop right there. So this scene starts out really good. It starts out really good. This guy comes to Jesus and he's asking a very, very good question. He says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? I mean, I'm not sure there is a better question out there, right? Because that's what everybody wants. You know, we might not say that, we may not know that, but that's what we do want. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? So the thing starts out really good. And he has the right answers. You know, Jesus says, well, you know the commandments, da 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 and he's like, yeah, man, I've done that. I've got that down. I am good to go. So things are going really good initially. And then Jesus drops the bomb on him. 
right? He, he comes back with this one. He says, there's something you're missing. There's something you're missing. You, still, you need to sell everything you have, give it away, and come follow me. And that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Clearly, this was not what this young man expected nor what he wanted to hear. And it definitely wasn't something that he wanted to do, right? It's very clear that his reaction proves that. The way he responds to that statement is a clear indication of the fact that he did not like to hear that. His whole demeanor changed. Everything about him, his whole his countenance changed is how the Bible would say it oftentimes. Everything about him changed. He became sad, not just disappointed, not just a little bit upset, but he became very sad. He was noticeably affected in a negative way. But why? Why was it? What was it that caused that change in him? What was it that caused him to react that way? And I would say it's probably the same thing that affects most of us. You get told something you don't want to hear, something that you need to change, something you need to do different, that it's not what you want, and now it makes you upset. You don't like to hear it. But all Jesus did Simply, all he did was reveal where his heart really was. He just opened his heart. He exposed where his heart really lied, where his true treasure really was. That's all he did. He just opened that up to him. Now, Jesus has this way about him, you know, that he knows the heart of man before he even starts asking questions, whereas we don't, we don't know that. We can't do that. But Jesus does, and he knew what this guy was wanting and what he needed and what he needed to change. So that's why he probed that way. And there's a reason for that, and we'll see that in just a few minutes. But the fact of the matter is, he was more satisfied in his wealth and the stuff that he had and the stuff that he had accumulated over whatever course of his life. I mean, maybe he was a trust fund baby, I don't know. But he, he, all this stuff that he had, whatever he had accumulated, he was putting more faith in that than he was in anything else that's where he was finding his satisfaction in his wealth in his possessions he put more satisfaction in that than in obeying and following Jesus so it it's like he said what do I need to do it to inherit eternal life these things I can do this much I'm not so if I have to do this I'm not going to get eternal life or I'm not going to take it because I want this more that's kind of where given the choice we'll see in a minute all right, so the problem with this young man, the problem with this guy is the same thing that plagues many of us today, I would say, okay? And that's that he elevated certain things. He elevated what he had. He elevated things of this world, no matter what they are. For him, it was wealth and possessions. For others, it might be something else. But he's elevating things above the place Jesus should hold. The stuff he had was ultimate. That was ultimate. That was over everything. If it wasn't, he wouldn't have been sad about it. He'd have been like, okay, let's go. But he wasn't. He was upset. He was sad over it. It was ultimate to him. It meant more to him than anything else. That was where he found satisfaction. That's where he was content. So it made him sad to even think about giving it all up because he couldn't see that what he was going to gain from giving it up was greater than anything he already had. Does that make sense? You picking up what I'm laying down? He could not see that what he was going to gain from letting that go and putting Jesus where he belongs was much more valuable than anything that he already had. So what about us today? What about me and you? You and I. Today, right here, 
right now. Is there something on that list of things that you're thankful for that you would react that same way if Jesus said, you need to let that go? You need to let that go and come follow me. Would you react the way he did or would you be willing to say, okay? That's the question before us this morning. That's where we're going to find, that's, if we can answer that question honestly, that's where we're going to see what is really ultimate in our lives. Those things that we find our satisfaction in. So is there something on that list that if it were taken away, you had to give up, that you just could not be satisfied? Is there something on that list that you're elevating and making ultimate over and above your relationship with Jesus? And that also might be why you can't get no satisfaction. Because you are putting things in places. Priorities aren't right. Things are in places they shouldn't be. You're putting more faith and trust in things that you shouldn't. Now, I don't know what that might be. I don't know what that looks like or anything. But I would guarantee you that we may not have things above Jesus, but we've probably got some things too high in some places. Some things that, that need to go, need to be let go, and, and different things like that. I know we've all got things that we need to lay down, that we need to put aside, that we need to try to quit finding satisfaction in those things. For some of us, maybe it's the praise of man. Just you're looking for attaboys, and that's where you find satisfaction, is in how people perceive you. Maybe you need to put that aside. Maybe it's affection of some kind. Maybe it's keeping up with the Joneses. You know, I got to have something that somebody else has. Maybe it's the latest technology or, or whatever it might be. I'm not sure what it is. But I guarantee you that we all have something that we need to lay aside and make Jesus the priority in us. I'm sure we all need to make it a priority to find our satisfaction in Christ, the man, not in Jesus, the supplier of the stuff. Does that make sense? Do you see the difference there? I thought that quote is so strong to me. Is God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. It's not most satisfied by him. We know, we understand that everything we have comes from God. We get that. What we do is we put more satisfaction in the things that he has given us than in him himself. That's where we're jacking it up. That's where we're getting it, getting it wrong. Is that we have our complete satisfaction in the wrong thing. And here's why that is. Here's why I say that we need to quit looking for satisfaction outside of Jesus or outside of him himself and it being in the things that he provides. Because here's the thing. Jesus is the real gift of the gospel. Jesus himself is the real gift of the gospel. Yes, we get, there is tons and tons and tons of benefit that comes and like fringe benefits and all this kind of stuff that comes from knowing him and from the gospel message and from receiving him as our savior. But Jesus himself is the real gift. There's nothing else that could compare. That is the greatest thing that God could ever give us was his son. He is what we gain. Relationship with him, being with him. He is the greatest gift of the gospel. There's nothing greater than him. He is where our true satisfaction really, really lies. And that's because knowing him, being in relationship with him, that's where real joy can be found. 
That's why we, when we start trying to find satisfaction in all these other things, they may satisfy for a little while. They may do something for a little while in us, but we always, always get let down. Somehow, some way, it lets us down. So having relationship with Jesus, being in relationship with him, that is where true, legitimate joy lies. That's where our satisfaction should be found. So our problem oftentimes is that we try to find that joy, that happiness, that satisfaction in the things of the world, like I said, in the things that God has provided to us rather than in God himself. We get fixated on a blessing or some other gift that God has given to us that we miss the source of the gift. We elevate the gift above the giver oftentimes. So we can't do that. We can't elevate the created things above the creator. We can't elevate the gift above the giver, even though that's what we end up doing. We don't want to, I don't think. It's not something that we intentionally do. It's just in our nature. It's in our human nature to do that. We've just got to be aware of that. And that goes for literally everything in our lives. We can do that with any and everything. We can do that with family. We can do that with friends. We can do that with our jobs, our homes, our bank accounts, our retirement funds, our benefits at work. We can do it with everything. Any and everything on this planet, we can do that with. Even our ministry, even our working for God, we can elevate to places that we ought not. We can do that with any and everything <clears throat> that there is. Instead of finding that real satisfaction in Christ himself. And when we do that, we're missing that real gift. We're missing that real, true satisfaction and joy that comes from Jesus himself. And that's where I say, that's where I say that I think we need to repent oftentimes. We need, to, we need to recognize that. We need to realize that. We need to turn away from that. We need to ask God to forgive us for that. We need to repent of those things for putting things above him. And part of this, part of, here's why the reason that is. What God or what Jesus exposed in this young man is that he's an idolater. He is worshiping something other than God. That's what he's doing by, by reacting the way he did. He just exposed his idolatrous heart. Is that not all of us in some way, shape, or form? I mean, all those five, the five other commandments that Jesus mentioned, don't murder, don't steal, don't do all these things. There was five of them. He was like, yep, got those. I think most of us would probably acknowledge that. But then Jesus comes back and he says, but what about this one? What about having no other gods before me? That's where he said, go sell everything you got, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. He said, no, that one I can't do. That's the first commandment. That's the very first one. We're all guilty of that in one way, shape, or form. That's why we need to repent that's why Jesus died on the cross because we do those kind of things what Jesus tells this guy is he is emphatically saying you've got to put me I have got to be above everything I've got to be above everything else in this world nothing else can be put in the place that I'm supposed to be all right and he says that very very emphatically earlier in Luke's gospel as well he says nothing should come before him Okay, look at what Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27 say. 
Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone who comes to me does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, is Jesus saying here that the requirement for being a Christian is hating your family? No. Okay, let me just clear that up right now. He is not saying you have to hate your family in order to be a follower of him. All right, he's making a point. He's making a point that he has to be ultimate. He has to be above everything. It can't be him and something else. It can't be anything above him. It's got to be him only. Okay, so what he's saying is he has to be ultimate. He has to be where our satisfaction is, not just the source of the satisfaction. Okay, not just the source of something else that brings us satisfaction. In comparison to Jesus, nothing else can come close. Even if it comes at the cost of your family. I mean, I don't know that there's a greater comparison that Jesus could have drawn right there. You know, nobody wants to hate their family. But if it comes down between him and your family, it better be him. That's just plain and simple. That's what he's saying. And it's hard. It's hard to hear. It's hard to think. But that's what he is saying. In comparison to Jesus, nothing else can come close. He is the one to be loved, cherished, adored, honored, lifted up, exalted, put first everything above everything else in our lives. That's the lesson that the rich ruler needed to learn, and I think it's a lesson that we need to learn as well. I know I do anyway. All right, maybe I'm just preaching to the choir here. I don't know, but there's something that I need to learn. But why is that? Why should Jesus be held in such high regard? Why should I strive to find my satisfaction in him? Well, we said it just a minute ago. He's the greatest gift of the gospel. If it's not for him, we are doomed. If not for Jesus coming to this earth, fully God, fully man, taking on the sins of the world, if it's not for him doing that, we have zero hope. You might find some satisfaction in something here and now, but in eternity, it's gone. It's not there anymore. There is no satisfaction in eternity if not for Jesus. What you get right here is all you get. If it's not for him. He is the greatest gift of the gospel. He's the one that was given by God that, so that we can be saved. So that we can have eternal life. So that God can then look at us as one of his children. Not as an enemy. Not as someone that is deserving of wrath and punishment. Jesus comes so that we can be adopted into his family. He's the greatest gift of the gospel. That's why our satisfaction should be found in him. And I'd say without him, we really can't be content. We can't be satisfied. There's no way that we could. So I want to look at another passage here really quickly. This is in John, and it is, everybody knows it. If you've got any church background at all, you know this first verse, okay? If you're in America, you know this verse, all right? You've seen it at baseball games, football games, wherever else. This first one you know. The second one, 
most people probably don't know it quite as well, all right? John 3, 16 and 17. There is so much profoundness in these verses right here. They just get kind of glossed over because they're used at baseball games and all that kind of stuff. But here's, here's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus is the greatest gift of the gospel. If that right there doesn't happen, if that verse is left out and Jesus hasn't come and hasn't paid the debt for our sins, we can't have any satisfaction. Like I said, you might get a little bit here and there right now, but that's it. You die and it's gone. And there's nothing there. And we get to see too the, the love that God has for us again. Look at Romans chapter 5 verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That is all of us. Romans 3 tells us that. We're all ungodly. We're all sinners. We all deserve punishment. We all are without him and will turn away from him. But while we were still weak, we're weak, we can't do anything about it. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're looking for satisfaction in everything but God. That's the, that's the history of man. That's the legacy of man. God made us, created us, put us in a garden, made everything perfect and wonderful. What do we do? Turn away. That's what we do. We look for things other than him all the time. That is our legacy. That is who we are. But we read verses like this and it reminds us and it shows us what God has done and this love that he has for his people and how he has given this great gift in Jesus so that we can be with him. That is the gospel message. You don't deserve to be with him. I don't deserve to be with him. But he wants you with him anyway. He wants you with him so much that he had his own son crucified, dead, beaten, buried in a tomb so that you could be saved. Then he raised him to life to prove to you how much he loves him. How much he loves us and how much he exalts his own son so that we can have that eternal life ourselves. Jesus is the greatest gift of the gospel. Why do we try to find satisfaction in anything else? There's nothing else that we could get that would satisfy us like him. So that's why if there's anything on that list of things that you're thankful for that come ahead of Jesus needs to change needs to get put in its right place. If we try to find satisfaction in anything other than him, then we should do everything in our power to correct that, to get rid of that. Not get rid of it necessarily, but put it in its right place. God wants us to enjoy the things that he has given to us, okay? Don't hear me wrong there, all right? He wants us to enjoy every gift that he's given us, all the promises that he makes. He wants us to enjoy those things. 
He just doesn't want us to enjoy those things more than him. We've got to keep it in perspective. We've got to keep it in its right place. Okay? So we do that first and foremost. I think we do this first and foremost by repenting of that idolatry. For just, and just tell him, say, God, I'm sorry. I have made other things ultimate over you. I have put such and such, whatever it might be, over you. I love it more than I do you. I'm sorry. I want to turn away from that. I want to make that right. I want to put Jesus first, and then I want to strive with everything in me to keep it that way, to keep him where he belongs. We know, we know, and he knows we're going to fail along the way. All right? So just know that going in. You might put Jesus first this week, and then next week something's going to happen, and you're going to put it first. That's not the end of the world. You just got to keep striving. Keep repenting. Keep turning to him. Keep making it as right as you possibly can. But that is the challenge before us today. All right? That is the challenge before us today. Don't be like this rich ruler who says, hey, this is what you need to do, and he goes away sad. Instead, say, embrace it. Say, okay, let's go. Let's make it right. Lord, I can do it with your help. And we can see that in just a few minutes as well. But that's the challenge before us. We don't want to be like this rich ruler who put other things before Jesus. We want to put Jesus where he needs to be. And here's just one more verse that I want to point out to just drive this point home that what we get here doesn't matter. Okay? Whatever we get on this earth, whatever stuff we gain, whatever wealth we accumulate, whatever friends we have, however many Facebook, Twitter followers we got, whatever, it doesn't matter, okay? This is what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. Very short, simple verse. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What does it get you? And that's all we're doing, trying to find satisfaction in everything on this planet. That's all we're doing. Is that very thing right there. So we need to look at this rich young ruler as a warning, as a what not to do kind of thing. So that's the example that he is for us. Now I said I had a couple of examples. The, the next one is, um, is when we're going to move over to the book of Philippians. And we're going to look at Paul. We're going to look at the apostle Paul. Now, I know everybody's saying, man, that's Paul. Of course he does it right. Paul didn't do it right all the time. You know, he, he, had, some, he had some mess ups too. But he, I think Paul is, is probably the embodiment of what it means to be satisfied in Christ. I think he probably does it as well as any human being on the planet. I don't know that there is anybody else that, that has ever come quite as close as he did. Um, so I want to look at just a few just a few passages in, uh, in his letter to the Philippians. And we'll just kind of look at these and I'll make a couple of comments and we'll, we'll kind of go on. But the first one is what he says in Philippians chapter 1 and verses 21 through 24. And verse 21 is enough. We could probably just leave it right there and call it done. But he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean, who can say that? Right, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But then he goes on to say, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. 
how much more satisfied in Christ can you be than to be able to say, if I die, man, I'm gaining. If I live, it's Jesus. I mean, I don't know that you can get more satisfied than that. And not only that, but he goes on to say, man, it's not just that, but if I get to live, if I continue living, I just get to keep serving him. I just get to keep doing what I'm doing. I get to keep serving Christ. If I die, I get to go be with Christ. I just, I literally don't see that you can get more satisfied in Christ than that right there. And he struggles. We see a struggle there in him. You know, he's like, I want to go be with Jesus because that's his satisfaction. But he's like, I want to stay here too because I get to work for him and I get to help you do that too. That's what he's, that's what he's thinking. He's like, I want to help people get to this same place. And he loves the Philippians. He, he loves this Philippian church and these people there. They are, they are a very important group of people to him. But how many of us struggle with that very thing? For me to live as Christ and to die as gain, do we struggle with that? I think when I think of it, I'm like, for me to, for me to die is sad. You know, I don't want to die, <laughs> you know. But I know what waits. I know, you know, to ask him for the body is present with the Lord. I get that. I understand that. But, man, I don't want to go now. I want to stay here. You know, I love you guys. I love my wife. I love my girls. I, a lot of stuff. Am I willing, though? Anyway, how many of us struggle with it? Um, I think if we did struggle with that and, we, and our lives looked anything like that, where we're like, man, if for me to live is I get to keep working, but for me to die is to go be with Jesus. I think if we did struggle with that, I think our, our serving would probably look a little bit different. I think it might be a little more productive, a little more, a little more intentional, a little more, uh, a little more oomph behind it, a little more emphasis in it, those kind of things. If we did struggle with that, I just don't know that, I don't know that many of us struggle with that, uh, that thing. I think we would be a lot less concerned with petty things if that's how we looked at it as well. But for Paul, that's just who he is. God has done something in that man, and that is who he is. That is his, as we say, second nature now. But for me, I constantly have to remind myself. I constantly have to remind myself not to do things just for the sake of doing things, uh, not for the sake of uh, praise of man and, and all this kind of stuff. I have to, I have to watch myself because I'll do things just because nobody else will, all that kind of stuff. It's not because I'm like, man, I get to go serve Jesus. That's not typically how I'm viewing doing things. Not typically anyway. Sometimes I get it right and it is, but, but not all the time. Sometimes it's just, I'm a checklist person. I, I like to task-oriented, you know, get it done. That's my satisfaction. Oh, that's done. You know, that, that's where I tend to find satisfaction in sometimes. Rather than looking at it as if I'm working for the Lord. When that's what I should be doing. I should be finding satisfaction in Christ, and that should be working out in how I do things. The next one that we look at here in Philippians, the next example is in Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. And Paul writes, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, 
As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So let's ask this. How many of us are completely satisfied with the work, quote unquote, that we do for the Lord? Just in the stuff that we do, we claim to be doing for the Lord. Do we find satisfaction in just doing things? I think sometimes we take a lot of pride in the things that we do, in our ministries, in our giving, in our serving people, whatever it might be. I think we find a sense of pride in that. And I, I'm skirting a line there. I think it's good to have a pride in what you do. That's, I'm not saying that. But I think it, sometimes it can be a, a puffed up kind of thing, like, hey, look at what I'm doing, you know, and helping to boost yourself a little bit more. Maybe it's just internally. Maybe you're not even caring that anybody else sees it. But that was Paul before his conversion. Paul did everything he did, and he thought, man, he, he thought he was working for God. I mean, he was God's representative. He was going to... Now, granted, he was a, like he said, a persecutor of the church. He was against what he's talking about now, but he thought he was working for God. He was convinced. I mean, he is doing a good thing, and he's doing the right thing for God. And he was a smart dude. He was not a dumb guy by any stretch. He was a brilliant, brilliant man, very well educated. All that stuff that he says in those verses is true of him I mean he was he was stout and I think he was you can read about that too in Acts like in Acts 6, 7, 8, 9 that area and you can read about his conversion and all that kind of stuff but um, he was very proud of who he was and what he was doing and I would guess just guessing I would guess that he was probably pretty satisfied with himself you know that he was doing the right thing that he was trucking along a, a good path down, down a right you know road that he was going down and doing the right things and I'm sure he was pretty satisfied with what he was doing it sounds that way to me anyway but then something changed something changed in him after Jesus met him and some of us know the story Damascus Road Jesus meets him on the the road there blinds him and all that stuff and he after that right there Paul is completely and totally changed forever his motives what he was doing why he was doing it Everything changed. What he gained from it, everything about it changed for him. His satisfaction went from what he thought was working for God and his satisfaction became God. It became Jesus after that happened. Nothing else mattered. Jesus was it. And he says, I counted everything else as loss. Everything that I lost from that, gone, done, whatever. It doesn't matter. Everything that he had gained, the reputation he had, the clout that he had, the, the, the passion that he had for what he did. You know, he said it for, as for zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. All that stuff was lost and was nothing compared to what? Knowing Jesus. It did not matter. None of it mattered to him. Knowing Jesus became absolutely paramount for Paul. Nothing else mattered. Nothing else could compare with knowing him and knowing him more and more and more. But I don't think it was easy. I don't think it was easy for him to let that stuff go and cuz he had to I mean he had to change. That's some big changes that happened in him. It, it wasn't an easy thing. He says he suffered the loss of all things. 
but he learned to count them as what, he says? Rubbish. That's a very nice word for manure. All right? That's just a nice way of saying dung. It's, it's bad. It's dirty. It's nasty. But that's what he counted everything else as, as compared to knowing Jesus. Could we say anything like that? Could we say anything like that at all? I personally am going to have to grow a whole lot more to say that everything else in my life I would count as manure compared to knowing Jesus. That's just a fact. I'm definitely not up here trying to say that I'm super spiritual and got it all figured out. I can assure you I don't. Ask Justin and Rick. We talked about that just a few minutes ago. But I'm going to have to grow a whole lot to be able to say that. I can assure you. And then the last example here, the last set of verses I want us to look at is uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Paul writes, he's in the last part of the letter. He's, he's thanking these folks for what they've done and, and who they are to him. And he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now that last verse has been hijacked by athletes galore. Okay? That, what he's talking about there, we, I used it. I hijacked it in high school. I did. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, that's great. That is not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about, man, in any circumstance, in any situation I find myself in, Jesus is enough for me. He gets me through it. He gets me whatever, and that's whether it's good or bad, whether it's abounding or in need, whether it's hungry or full. He has learned to be content in whatever he's in. And that's what, that, that's what those verses right there to me are a picture of. It's a picture of satisfaction, contentment, meaning he's fulfilled. His needs are met. He has no need of anything. His expectations are met. There's nothing lacking in any way regardless of his situation. He's like, I've learned. I've learned to be content no matter what I've got. No matter what's good or bad in my life, I have learned to be content because he puts all his faith, trust, satisfaction, contentment, everything in Jesus. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That is not a verse to help you hit 300. Okay? It's not a verse to help you score goals. It's not. It is a verse to help remind you that you need to be content in Jesus no matter what you find yourself in. That's what that verse is there for. So once again, can any of us say that? That we are content in everything because we got Jesus. I think sometimes we can. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here and say that we never say that, okay? Because I, I know we can. There are times we hit, a, we hit a stride and everything's good and man, 
relationships right and, and Jesus is where he's supposed to be and everything is good. Can we say it with any regularity though? It's easy to say that when it's a bright sunshiny day outside, you know, and everything's going good. The check's coming in, I'm working, you know, everything's good. Bills are paid, all that kind of stuff. It's easy to say, yeah, man, I'm content. It's much harder when you get diagnosed with some disease you don't even know what it is and you don't know whether you're going to live or die. It's much harder when you lose your job and you wonder how am I going to pay my bills. It's a lot harder to say, yes, I'm content with Jesus alone when things go really bad. But that's what we're to strive to do. That's where we are to find our satisfaction in him. Now, I want to say this too. It's important, it's, it's very important, I think, for us to understand where Paul was when he wrote these things. Paul was in prison when he wrote all this stuff. He was in prison in Rome, I think it was Rome, most likely chained to a guard 24-7. Not a good situation, not a good circumstance. And yet he's still writing about rejoicing in the Lord. He's still writing about, man, for me to live as Christ. Dude's in prison to live as Christ. You see what I'm saying? Do you, do you see what I'm getting at there? I just want us to get a picture of all this stuff that he's just said. He is writing all that while he is in prison. And yet he is still finding all of his satisfaction in Jesus, not in his circumstances, not in his situations or anything. And that's hard for me to imagine personally, but it is something that I want to strive for. And I hope we all do. I hope we all want to strive for that. To say, man, I want to be content like that. I don't want to be like that rich young ruler who walked away from God or walked away from Jesus sad because he had to give some stuff up. I want to really, really be satisfied in Christ. So now my question is, how can we really do that? How can we really be satisfied in Christ? How can we really set aside everything else and make Jesus ultimate and be content in him, be satisfied in him? How can we not be, again, like that rich young ruler, and how can we be more like Paul, hopefully? And I think primarily it's we gotta we gotta just make a decision to make Jesus paramount. He's got to be ultimate. We gotta put him in the right place and keep him in the right place in our lives. He has to be over and above everything else. Now I'm not saying in the place of everything else. He just has to be over it. We gotta keep things in perspective. Like I said, James tells us every good and perfect gift comes from above from the Father of lights. Everything we have is a gift from God. And we should be thankful for it. And there should be a level of satisfaction found in those things. They just can't be elevated and made more of than they should. But now, as for how to make that happen, I think we make that happen the same way we do anything else. There's, there's something that I say and I've, when we talk about working out and all these different kind of things. If there's something that you want to do bad enough, you'll make it happen you'll figure out a way to make it happen. You, you follow what I'm saying? If I want to budget my money, I'm going to figure out a way to budget my money if I want to. It's a question of want. It's a question of desire. What do you want more? If we want Jesus to be in the right place, we can do it. It can happen. 
You've just got to want it bad enough. If you want to do it bad enough, you'll make time for it. You will figure out a way to make him paramount, make him ultimate, make him your satisfaction. And I mean, I would, I would almost guarantee that, that that would happen if you want to do it bad enough. And here's the thing. In order to get the full benefit of something, say a relationship with Jesus or anything else, I think you've got to spend time in that. You know what I'm saying? If I want to get satisfaction from a football game, you need to go be at the football game. Right? Yes, this is yes, this is no. <laughs> you spend time with those things that you want to find satisfaction in, right? If you, want, if you find satisfaction in your family, it's going to be hard to find satisfaction if you're not with them, right? So we've got we to gotta spend time with him. We've got to spend time doing those things. I think it's no different with Jesus. In order to be fully and completely satisfied in him, we've got to spend time with him. We have got to spend time with him. And that goes two ways. There's two ways, two things that I think will help us down that road of being fully satisfied in, in Christ. And they both involve time and how we spend time with him. One is we've got to spend time with God corporately. We've got to spend time with God together. That means being at church, small group, serving with one another, doing ministry together, whatever that may be, Bible studies together, somehow being together corporately, spending time with God in a corporate environment, all of us together, you will begin to nurture that relationship with God, okay? That, that satisfaction in Jesus can come, okay? The other thing is you've got to spend time with him alone. You've got to spend time with him alone too, you need to take some time. You need to read and pray with God, just the two of you, together. Quiet yourself. Get rid of all the other distractions. You've got to do something like that. Set aside some time to read the Bible and pray every day. You've got to make it a priority, a part of your daily routine, a part of who you are. If you don't know how to do that, if you're like, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know how that needs to look. Man, there are... Bible reading plans out there galore to help you. If you've got a smartphone, there's probably 10 apps that you can get. version is one of them. That's the one that I use when I do this. That's a good one. There's reading plans galore on that thing. So do that. You've got to spend time with him. If you don't have time, if you're saying, man, I just don't have time to do that, make time. You've got to make time to do it. You've got to loosen up your schedule, you know, do something to get that in there. Cancel something that's going on, reschedule a meeting, skip a meal if you have to, something to get that time alone with Jesus. Get up a little earlier. Oh, that one hurts. I don't like to think about that. Stay up a little later. Whatever. Do something to spend some time. There's a, there was an article that came out through um, Desiring God, if you follow them on Facebook by any chance, but Krista pointed it out to me. I saw it, I just kind of glossed over it. She was like, you really need to read that. That was good. But it was an article about uh, that Francis Chan wrote, and uh, 
Francis Chan wrote Crazy Love, a couple different books. He's a really good author, theologian. Um, but his, he said that the greatest thing you can do today, the most important thing you can do today is that right there, spend time with God, alone with God. And that's where he says, man, if you, whatever you got to do, figure out a way to make it happen. There's nothing more important that you can do on a daily basis than spend time alone with God. Now, he's not saying to the neglect of the corporate part, not at all. That article, he's saying, man, we do that. In America, especially, we do that well. We come together, we do things. That's good. That's not bad. We want to continue doing that. But he's like, we neglect the alone time so, so often. We've got to do that. We've got to make that a priority. If, if your desire is to find your complete satisfaction in Jesus, that's got to happen. And uh, again, that's preaching to the choir. I should have like a mirror <laughs> preaching that part. So again, it's not one or the other. It's not either or. It's both and of those things. Spend time together corporately with God. Spend time together alone with God. Okay, just you and God. And, uh, and I think this much that uh, I can tell you that if we do either of those things, or if we don't do either of them, I'm sorry, if we don't do one of those things, or if we only do one to the neglect of the other, I don't think that affection is going to be as strong as you would like for it to be. That, that, that satisfaction that you find in God, in Christ, won't be quite as strong if you try to do one without the other there. I just don't think it'll happen. Um, and I can tell you this much too. It's not going to happen if we don't put some effort into it. We've got to discipline ourselves and make it happen. You're not going to do it right all the time. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. Jesus understands that. He knows that. You just got to keep at it. Keep, keep, keep at it. So as we, uh, as we close up here, as we wrap things up, uh, I want to go ahead and ask the host team, the host team, the praise team to go ahead and come up and uh, get ready to, uh, to sing. And I just want to revisit those few questions that we had at the, uh, at the very beginning of the, uh, the message here. I just want to go over those one more time um, because I don't know, maybe somebody does need to make a decision. Maybe somebody's been thinking about something and they need to, they repent. They need to get it right right now. I don't know. But um, I want to give everybody that opportunity for just a minute before the, uh, before the praise team sings. And uh, so let's just ask those questions one more time and just think through those. And if you need to make a decision, you can make it right there, right there where you're at. Number one, what are you looking, where are you looking to find satisfaction? What are those things that you try to find satisfaction in? Are they the right things or are they the wrong things? Are you actually finding satisfaction in those things? Or do they come up short? Do they come up short? Do you find yourself still longing for more? You're just not sure what it is. Now you do know. Now you do know what it is. It's Jesus. Maybe there's something that needs to change there. Are you putting certain things in a place they shouldn't be? Are you elevating things, making things ultimate in your life that shouldn't be? And then the last question is, where are you really, where should you really be looking for satisfaction? I think the answer to that one is Jesus. I think we've answered that one pretty, uh, pretty clearly. So finally, before the praise team starts, 
couple more things here. Do you, do you need to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus for the first time this morning? Is that where you need to start? Is that where this whole thing needs to start for you? Is a relationship with Jesus. Do you need to repent of your sins? Turn to him. Seek forgiveness. Ask him for forgiveness because I promise you he'll give it to you. Is that where you need to start? And again, you can do that right here this morning. Or maybe you're a believer and you just simply need to repent because you've been putting something ultimate that shouldn't be. You've been putting your satisfaction in any and everything but Jesus. You're making things ultimate that ought not to be ultimate and maybe you need to just dedicate yourself to saying, I'm going to put Jesus first. I'm going to put him first above everything. And I promise you, if you do that, if we could do that, so many other things would just fall into place. So many other, Now, I'm not saying it's going to be perfect. Things aren't going to be hunky-dory all the time and tiptoe through the tulips. I'm not saying that at all. But I can promise you, if you put him in the right place, you can weather all those other storms that come. The good times will be better. The bad times, you can get through them easier. That much I can promise you. So let's just pray right now. And then, uh, then the praise team will sing. And then we will be dismissed. If anybody did make any decisions this morning, we'd love to know about it. But right now, let's pray together. And then let's stand up and worship. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for giving so freely of yourself. Giving us something to find true, real satisfaction, joy, contentment in. Lord, remind us constantly that there's nothing greater than you that you are it, you are paramount. Philippians also tells us that God has given you the name that is above every name, that at your name every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why do we try to find satisfaction in anything else? God, help us to put the things that you have given us, the gifts that you have given us, the wealth, the family, the health, all these different things that you have so graciously given to us. Help us to enjoy those the way you want us to, not making those things ultimate above you, but keeping them in their right place, enjoying them the way you would have us enjoy them. God, help us to do these things. We can't do it alone. We need your help. We need your guidance. We need you to steer us in the right direction. We need you to pick us up when we fall. Lord, we need you to steer us right when we get off that path, when we start looking for the wrong things. Lord, we need you more than we can ever even know. So we ask for you to do that in us this, today, Lord. Begin right now, changing our hearts, giving us a heart of a flesh, not a heart of stone. A heart for you, not a heart for the things of the world. And we ask you to do this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.